I, I do not like this gospel reading, and that is why I'm excited to talk to you about it. The, the stakes are actually really high. What I want to, to give you today uh, will save you from hating every moment in heaven. So there's a, it's just, there's a lot to say about this gospel. I'm going to only say my own, my own little part, but I want to recommend to you Bishop Barron's homily for the weekend, Father Mike Schmidt's homily for the weekend. You can find those on YouTube or on Spotify or wherever else, but they're, they're really, really good. But here's what I want to talk about. This, this gospel bothers me a lot, and it's actually it's a hard thing to say. It's taken me a lot of years to come to a point where I can read some of the gospel and say whether it bothers me. Because I have, probably like you have, a temptation to just quickly resolve these things that cause a little conflict in me. Just to like find an answer, to make some sense of it, and then say, okay, I got it, we're good, we can go on to the next thing. Or there can be a fear also to not agree. Like, something seems wrong in this, but Jesus does it, so I'm going to go along with it and not ask any questions. So it's taken a long time, actually, to be able to resist the urge to jump to the correct response. And... You know, it's, it's probably something like, yeah, you know, Jesus, the kingdom, discipleship, it's not about fairness, the Lord's generosity and mercy, some work harder, we all get the same thing in the end. But if we do that, we, we keep ourselves safe from the gospel. And that is what we don't want to do. If we can acknowledge our true and honest respo- response, and for me today, it's that this, this gospel bothers me, then this is good. This is the butter zone to be, to be wrestling with it some, because... If we find ourselves in conflict like that over what the Lord says to us, then we're in a place not where I am trying to change me and form me, but where God is changing and forming me. So this parable, the story that we read today, is not, as it turns out, just a story with a lesson for us, but it's a description, a pretty detailed description of how God directly changes us. So let's look at this. There's the landowner. If you look closely, you can find out that he has a plan all along. Everything he does is very intentional. It might even be, this isn't clear, but it might even be that he he saves the late-coming workers on purpose. Like he goes there in the morning and he invites them, and then he goes there later and he invites a few of those who are there, and he saves several for the end, so that when he goes out at five, There are several standing there, and he can invite them to come and work only one hour. It's not clear, but it could be that he left them there all day so that he could bring them in at the last hour. In any case, he knows what he's doing because you can also see that he he chooses intentionally to not tell the latecomers exactly what he will pay them. He doesn't say, I'll pay you the usual daily wage like he did those who came first. He says, I'll pay you what is just. So it's kind of mysterious. You can see him kind of like wink or smile as he says it because he has a plan in mind. I'll pay you what is just. And then he, he kind of forces the situation because he, he intentionally pays those who worked only one hour first, right in front of those who have worked all day. If he wanted just to be generous, he could have done that. He could have paid those who worked all day and then said, okay, now you go home. And then he could have given... The, the abundance, you know, to the ones who had worked only an hour and said, okay, now just keep this to yourself, though. Don't, don't tell those who worked all day. But no, he doesn't do that. He brings the first laborers through a long, hard day in the heat. He brings them to a place of rest. They're ready to receive their wages. Their guard is down. They're vulnerable. Then he pays a lot to those who have worked one hour right in front of those watching. And he excites 
their expectations and desires. He sort of creates in them, like, maybe we'll get more. And then he pays them the usual daily wage. It's like he set them up for disappointment. So reading this gospel, of course, of course it bothers us. It, not just like the justice of the amount that's paid, but it seems like he played a trick on those who have worked all day. It turns out that the landowner's plan was not to get work done in the field or to give away a certain amount of money that day. It turns out that his plan all along that he has worked all day on is to work on the hearts of the first laborers, to cultivate and prune and change their hearts. So whether we recognize it or not, God spends all our days working intentionally and going to great lengths to transform our hearts. Sometimes we get stuck on what the Lord wants for me is to do certain work for him, and we're focused on the work in the vineyard. But as it turns out, he sets all of this up to, to change our hearts, and it's not really about the work. And the reason is because only transformed hearts can live happily in the kingdom of God. Bishop Barron, if you listen to his homily, he makes this point really clearly and, and well. He says, heaven is God's heaven and not my heaven. So he says, we, we usually have a kind of bad way of thinking about heaven where it's like, yes, this life, we work hard, we suffer, we struggle through it, and then we get to heaven, we can finally relax, and then it's okay. But usually we think of it kind of in, a, in an egotistical way, on a, in a self-centered way, then I can be satisfied, then I can, I can, I can you know, focus on myself or whatever it is that, that makes us happy in that way. But this is, this is a totally upside down and bad way of thinking of heaven. And he, he illustrates it with this. He says, do you think Mother Teresa... When she gets to heaven and sees somebody in need, she says, ask somebody else for help. I spent years and years on earth giving of myself and helping others. I'm in heaven now to enjoy my eternal rest. No, I will not help you. No, of course not. This is, of course Mother Teresa wouldn't do this because God's heaven is the kingdom of love. We heard this in the first reading. God said, my ways and my thoughts are so different than your thoughts and your ways. Without transformation of my heart to be like God's, heaven can be like hell to me. Like, think of this. If you, uh, if you save all the selfishness, if you do like selfless things, but you keep a selfish heart, when you get to heaven and you find out <laughs> that it's about selfless love, if you hate serving others now, you're going to hate the kingdom of heaven. If you hate praying or worshiping God now, you will hate heaven Without the transformation of our hearts to be like God's, heaven can be hell for us. So, so we know this, and we try to work to transform our own hearts. We do things to try to become more virtuous, to be less selfish. So, you know, like sometimes it's just like you're sitting in traffic and you say, okay, this is good for me, I'm going to grow in patience. Or I'm going to do something to try and grow in generosity. When we do this, we can make a change, but it's hard. It's laborious. There is a quicker and better and easier way to be transformed and that is when God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And it looks like the gospel today. He, will, he, he works all day, every day in your life, through every circumstance and every, every, every word, every action, to bring us through one thing, to make us able, to make us vulnerable enough to receive what he really wants to give us, which is always love that makes our hearts new. Okay, 
I don't mean new like re-energized or alive again, but when I say new, I mean different. He wants to give us different new hearts, different than they were before. So this great conspiracy of God that he works all day, like we heard in the, the landowner in the gospel, this great conspiracy of God for our transformation to prepare us for heaven, the word for this is divine providence. It turns out that we, we make greater progress on the road to transformation with what we don't like about Jesus than what we agree with. There are, there are like two ways to avoid this transformation, and they're on totally opposite ends of the spectrum. Okay, the first one is, you've heard of this, cafeteria Catholicism, where we say, oh, I like that part. I like it when Jesus says be generous and serve the poor and, or, or whatever else, but I don't like these other things, so I'll take what I like and leave out what I don't. That's cafeteria Catholicism, and there are, of course, just enormous gaping problems with this, but the one that we're talking about right now is that if we pick and choose like this, if we stay with what we like, then we avoid transformation. On the other side of the spectrum, there is something, I don't know what to call it, maybe duty-based Catholicism, where we study the rules, and we know what is expected to us, and we will live this way. We will dot, dot every I and cross every T and check every box. We'll live the way that the Lord told us to, but if it is all focused on the rules, then also there is no transformation, because both of these are ways of avoiding the places where my heart conflicts with God's heart. We skip those places. So instead, what the Lord invites us into is this uncomfortably intimate Catholicism where we let God change our hearts and our minds. This is the only way that something that was burdensome can become easy and a source of joy. The way that the Lord approaches us then is not do this and not that, or here's the instructions, follow them carefully and you'll receive a reward, or I'm the king and you do what I say and if you obey enough, then I'll let you live. No, no, no. Instead, he says, trust me. Let me change you. Come close to me. Let me do in you what you're not quite sure about. Let me change your mind. So just two quick examples here, okay? I, I won't tell the whole story, but basically my first experience of this that I really felt was before I was a priest, before I was in seminary, when I was in high school, I went on this trip to Europe. It's part of my vocation story. If you've heard that, then you know the story. But basically I went to Europe with this orchestra and I thought that the goal was, yes, like growth and maturity, play music in these cool places in Germany and France, come home and have a great experience. I thought that was like the labor, the work that the Lord was taking me through. But at the end, what happened, what, what the, it, it was all this conspiracy that the Lord had planned for me to remove obstacles in my heart so that when he said, I want you to go to seminary, I could say yes. And without what he did in those three weeks, never, never could have, never would have. I saw this also just over the summer. I think you remember we talked about, um, I was a chaplain at Summer Projects or Focus for these college students. And very often the story was the same as I spoke to them. They aimed for one thing, like I want this summer, I want to grow in discipline or I want to grow in friendship, or I want to grow in, in reading scripture every day. And then at the end they were disappointed and struggling because it hadn't happened. And as you talk it through, you find out that the Lord was working on a very different thing. That he had organized the whole summer to do something in them that they had not planned on. This is the story over and over, that we, we aim for one thing and God works another and greater thing in us. So in the gospel, we are always the first laborers what, what is different for all of us is where we are in the story. We might be 
in the first hours of this, of this labor in the vineyard. Or we might be near the end, or we might be struggling because we just saw the Lord do this thing where he pays those right in front of us who only worked an hour. But, but this is us in this story. <clears throat> and th- because this is what the Lord is doing in every moment, in every interaction, in every, in every circumstance of your life, in successes and failures and joys and sorrows, like the gospel, he brings us through some sort of labor to expose in us the place in my heart that is still old. So we, when this happens, we, it's important to just honestly acknowledge it. Maybe you have the same experience as me with the gospel today, where, we, where I say, it bothers me and I don't like it, because it seems like the landowner played a trick. When we come to that point, like, like I called it before, the butter zone, when we come to this point, we're faced with a choice where we can say yes to God transforming us, or we can harden our hearts and say no. In my time at St. Luke, this has happened over and over and over, where I aimed for one thing, the Lord did another, and there were times where I said yes, and there were times where I hardened my heart and said no. But to those who harden their heart to the Lord's transformation, what he says is, take what is yours and go. What the landowner says, says to these hard-hearted first laborers. These are dreadful words. Because... I mean, they're, they're the poorest in the end because as they walk away, all they have is what belongs to them. All they have is their old heart and nothing of God's. So whatever your labor is right now, it's different for everybody. Whatever the labor that the Lord has you working at right now, it could be working on a sin or working on a virtue or growing in prayer or, or raising your children or dealing with your priest or whatever it is, whatever the labor is that the Lord has you, at, has you working at, Just say yes to it. Say yes and let him uncover through this, let him uncover in you what is not good. When we are bothered by Jesus or when we're bothered by our honest response to Jesus, then we are one step away from saving transformation.